The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the London Visited Podcast on your favourite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Steve and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London and to tell you more about some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, we cover part one of our look at St Paul's Cathedral, which has been requested on both video and podcast many times. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering this place and so many others across London. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join our group of what we like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels, where there are many different benefits, including a members-only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to www patreon.com forward slash London Visited. And now to this week's podcast. St Paul's is an Anglican cathedral in London, which is a cathedral of the Bishop of London and serves as the mother church of the Diocese of London. It sits on Ludgate Hill at the highest point of the City of London and is a Grade 1 listed building. Its dedication to Paul the Apostle dates back to the original church on this site, founded in AD 604. The present cathedral dating from the late 17th century was designed by the English Baroque style by Sir Christopher Wren. Its construction, completed in Wren's lifetime, was part of a major rebuilding program in the city after the Great Fire of London. The earlier Gothic cathedral, Old St Paul's Cathedral, largely destroyed in the Great Fire, was a central focus for medieval and early modern London, including Paul's Walk and St Paul's Churchyard being the site of St Paul's Cross. The cathedral is one of the most famous and most recognisable sites of London. Its dome, framed by the spires of Wren City churches, has dominated the skyline for over 300 years. At 365 feet high, it was the tallest building in London from 1710 to 1963. The dome remains among the highest in the world. St Paul's is the second largest church building in area in the UK after Liverpool Cathedral. Services held at St Paul's have included the funerals of Admiral Nelson, the Duke of Wellington, Winston Churchill and Margaret Thatcher, jubilee celebrations for Queen Victoria, peace services marking the end of the First and Second World Wars, the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer, the launch of the Festival of Britain and thanksgiving services for the silver, golden and diamond jubilees and the 80th and 90th birthdays of Queen Elizabeth II. St Paul's Cathedral is the central subject of much promotional material as well as of images of the dome surrounded by the smoke and the fire of the Blitz. The cathedral is a working church with hourly prayer and daily services. The tourist entry fee at the door is £20 for adults, which is cheaper online, but no charge is made to worshippers attending advertised services. The nearest underground station is St Paul's, which is 130 yards away from St Paul's Cathedral. Bede records that in AD 604, Augustine of Canterbury consecrated Miletius as the first bishop of the Anglo-Saxon kingdom of the East Saxons and their king. Serbret's uncle and overlord, Athelbert, king of Kent, 
built a church dedicated to St Paul in London as the seat of the new bishop. It is assumed, although not proved, that his first Anglo-Saxon cathedral stood on the same site as the later medieval and present cathedrals. On the death of Sethbert in about 1616, his pagan sons expelled Militius from London and the East Saxons reverted to paganism. The fate of the first cathedral building is unknown. Christianity was restored among the East Saxons in the late 7th century and it's presumed either the Anglo-Saxon cathedral was restored or a new building erected as the seat of bishops such as Seed, Wine and Ecrenwald, the last of whom was buried in the cathedral in 693. This building, or a successor, was destroyed by a fire in 962 and rebuilt in the same year. King Ethered the Unready was buried in the cathedral on his death in 1016. The tomb is now lost. The cathedral was burnt, with much of the city, in a fire in 1087, as recorded in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. There is evidence for Christianity in London during the Roman period, but no firm evidence for the location of churches or a cathedral. London is said to have had two delegates to the Council of Aerlis in 314 AD. A list of the 16 archbishops of London was recorded by Jocelyn the Furnace in the 12th century. Claiming London's Christian community was founded in the 2nd century under legendary King Lucius and his missionary saints Fagan and Duverian, Elvanus and Medwin. None of that is considered credible by modern historians, but, although the surviving text is problematic, either Bishop Restinasus or Alphadeus in the 314 Council of Arides seems to have come from Londinium. The location of Londinium's original cathedral is unknown, but legend and medieval tradition claims it was St Peter upon Cornhill. St Paul is an unusual attribution for a cathedral and suggests there was another one in the Roman period. Legends of St Lucas link St Peter under Cornhill as the centre of the Roman Londinian Christian community. It stands upon the highest point in the area of Old Londinium and it was given pre-eminence in medieval procession on the account of the legends. There is, however, no other reliable evidence and on the location of the site on the forum makes it difficult for it to fit the legendary stories. In 1995, a large 5th century building on Tower Hill was excavated and has been claimed as a Roman basilica, possibly a cathedral, although this is speculative. The Elizabethan antiquarian William Camden argued that a temple to the goddess Diana had stood during Roman times on the site occupied by the medieval St Paul's Cathedral. Wren reported that he found no trace of any such temple during the works to build the new cathedral after the Great Fire, and Camden's hypothesis is no longer accepted by modern archaeologists. The fourth St Paul's, generally referred to as Old St Paul's, was begun by the Normans after the 1087 fire. A further fire in 1135 disrupted the work, and the new cathedral was not consecrated until 1240. During the period of construction, the style of architecture had changed from Romanesque to Gothic, and this was reflected in the pointed arches and larger windows of the upper parts of the east end of the building. The Gothic ribbed vault was constructed, like that of York Minster, of wood rather than stone, which affected the ultimate fate of the building. An enlargement program commenced in 1256. This new work was consecrated in 1300, but not completed until 1314. During the later medieval period, St Paul's was exceeded in length only by the Abbey Church of Clunley, which in height and in the height of its spire only by Lincoln Cathedral and St Mary's Church, Strausland. Excavations by Francis Penrose in 1878 showed that it was 585 feet long and 100 feet wide 
290 feet across the transepts and crossing. The spire was about 489 feet in height. By the 16th century, the building was starting to decay. The English Reformation under Henry VIII and Edward VI, and particularly the Charities Act, led to the destruction of elements of the interior ornamentation and the chapels, shrines, chantries. In October 1538, an image of St. Erkenwald, probably from the shrine, was delivered to the master of the king's jewels. Other images may have survived, at least for a time. More systematic iconoclasm happened in the reign of Edward VI. The Greyfriars Chronicle reports that the rod and other images were destroyed in November 1547, and other parts were taken down in October 1552. Some of the buildings in St Paul's churchyard were sold as shops and rental properties, especially to printers and booksellers. In 1561, the spire was destroyed by lightning, an event that Roman Catholic writers claimed was a sign of God's judgment on England's Protestant rulers. Bishop James Pilkington preached a sermon in response, claiming the lightning strike was a judgment for the irrelevant use of the cathedral building. Immediate steps were taken to repair the damage, and the citizens of London and the clergy offering money to support the rebuilding. But the cost of repairing the building properly was too great for a country and city recovering from a trade depression. Instead, the roof was repaired and a timber roof put on the steeple. In the 1630s, a west front was added to the building by England's first classical architect, Inigo Jones. There was much defacing and mistreatment of the building by parliamentarian forces during the Civil War, and the old documents and charters were dispersed and destroyed. During the Commonwealth, those churchyard buildings that were raised supplied ready-dressed building materials for construction projects, such as the Lord Protector's City Palace, Somerset House. Crowds were drawn to the northeast corner of the churchyard, St Paul's Cross, where open-air preaching took place. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. In the Great Fire of London of 1666, Old St Paul's was gutted. While it might have been possible to reconstruct it, a decision was taken to build a new cathedral in the modern style. This course of action had been proposed even before the fire. The task of designing a replacement structure was officially assigned to Sir Christopher Wren on the 30th of July 1669. He had previously been put in charge of the rebuilding of churches to replace those lost in the Great Fire. More than 50 city churches were attributable to Wren. Concurrent with designing St Paul's, Wren was engaged in the production of his five tracks on architecture. Wren had began advising on the repair of Old St Paul's in 1661, five years before the fire in 1666. The proposed work included renovations to interior and exterior to complement the classical facade designed by Ingo Jones in 1630. Wren planned to replace the dilapidated tower with a dome, 
using the existing structure as a scaffold. He produced a drawing of the proposed dome, which shows his idea that it could span the nave, aisles and the crossing. After the fire, it was first thought possible to retain a substantial part of the old cathedral, but ultimately the entire structure was demolished in the early 1670s. In July 1668, Dean William Sancroft wrote to Wren that he was charged by the Archbishop of Canterbury, in agreement with the bishops of London and Oxford, to design a new cathedral that was handsome and noble to all ends, and it to the reputation of the city and the nation. The design process took several years, but the design was finally settled and attached to a royal warrant, with a proviso that Wren was permitted to make any further changes that he deemed necessary. The result was the present St Paul's Cathedral, still the second largest church in Britain, with a dome proclaimed as the finest in the world. The building was financed by a tax on coal and was completed within its architect's lifetime, with many of the major contractors engaged for the duration. The topping out of the cathedral, when the final stone was placed on the lantern, took place on the 26th of October 1708, performed by Wren's son, Christopher Jr., and the son of one of the Masons. The cathedral was declared officially complete by Parliament on the 25th of December 1711, Christmas Day. In fact, construction continued for several years after that, with the statues on the roof added in the 1720s. In 1716, the total costs amounted to £1,095,556, £165 in today's money. On the 2nd of December 1697, 31 years and three months after the Great Fire destroyed Old St Paul's, the new cathedral was consecrated for use. The Right Reverend Henry Compton, Bishop of London, preached the sermon. It was based on the text of Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. The first regular service was held on the following Sunday. Opinions of Wren's cathedral differed, with some loving it. Without, within, below, above. The eye is filled with unrestrained delight, while others hated it. There was an air of popery around the gilded capitals, the heavy arches. They were unfamiliar, un-English. The cathedral survived the Blitz, although struck by bombs on the 10th of October 1940 and the 17th of April 1941. The first strike destroyed the high altar, while the second strike on the north transept left a hole in the floor above the crypt. The latter bomb is believed to have detonated in the upper interior above the north transept, and the force was sufficient to shift the entire dome laterally by a small amount. On the 12th of September 1940, a time-delayed bomb that had struck the cathedral was successfully defused and removed by a bomb disposal detachment of the Royal Engineers, under the command of temporary Lieutenant Robert Davis. Had this bomb detonated, it would have totally destroyed the cathedral. It left a 100-foot crater when it was later remotely detonated in a secure location. As a result of this action, Davis and the sapper George Cameron Wiley were each awarded the George Cross. Davis's George Cross and other medals are on display at the Imperial War Museum in London. One of the best-known images of London during the war was a photograph of St Paul's taken on 29th of December 1940 during the Second Great Fire of London by photographer Herbert Mason from the roof of a building in Tudor Street, showing the cathedral shrouded in smoke. Lisa Jardine of Queen Mary, University of London, has written, Wreathed in billowing smoke, amidst the chaos and destruction of war, the pale dome stands proud and glorious, indomitable. At the height of that air raid, 
Sir Winston Churchill telephoned the Guildhall to insist that all firefighting resources be directed at St Paul's. The cathedral must be saved, he said. Damage to the fabric would sap the morale of the country. Extensive copper, lead and slate renovation work was carried out on the dome in 1996 by John B. Chambers, a 15-year restoration project, one of the largest ever undertaken in the UK, and it was completed on the 15th of June 2011. St Paul's Cathedral is a busy church with four or five services every day, including matins, Eucharist, an evening prayer or choral evening song. In addition, the cathedral has many special services associated with the City of London, its corporation, guilds and institutions. The cathedral, as the largest church in London, also has the role in many state functions, such as the service celebrating the Diamond Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II. The cathedral is generally open daily to tourists and has a regular program of organ recitals and other performances. The Bishop of London is Sarah Mullally, whose appointment was announced in December 2017. The cathedral chapter is currently composed of seven individuals. The Dean, three residentary canons, one of whom, exceptionally, lay, one additional member of chapter and canon non-residentary, ordained, and two lay canons. Each has a different responsibility in the running of the cathedral. As of the beginning of 2022, the Dean, David Ison, Precentor, James Milne, Treasurer, Jonathan Brewster, is responsible for finance and for the cathedral building. Chancellor, Paula Gooder, Additional member of chapter and canon non-residentary, Sheila Watson. Lay canon, Pamela Jane Baxter. Also deputy director at the National Portrait Gallery with experience in opera, theatre and visual arts. Lay canon, Sheila Nicholl. She is also head of public policy at Schroeder Investment Management. The registrar, Emma Davis, from September 2015, is the cathedral's principal administrator and lay officer and assists the cathedral chapter in its work. Overseeing more than 150 full-time staff, together with volunteers, she is a solicitor and was a senior civil servant prior to her appointment. The director of music is Andrew Carwood. Carwood was appointed to succeed Malcolm Archer as the director of music, taking up the post in September 2007. He is the first non-organist to hold the post since the 12th century. An organ was commissioned from Bernard Smith in 1694. In 1862, the organ from the Panopticon of Science and Art, the Panopticon organ, was installed in a gallery over the south transept door. The grand organ was completed in 1872, and the Panopticon organ moved to the Victoria Rooms in Clifton in 1873. The grand organ is the fifth largest in Great Britain in terms of number of pipes, 7,256, with five manuals, 136 ranks of pipes, and 137 stops, principally enclosed in an impressive case designed in Wren's workshop. St Paul's Cathedral has a full professional choir, which sings regularly at services. The earliest records of a choir date from 1127. The present choir consists of up to 30 boy choristers, eight probationers, and the vicar's choral, 12 professional singers. In February 2017, the cathedral announced the appointment of the first female vicar choral, Caris Jones to take up the role in September 2017. During school terms, the choir sings Evensong six times per week, the service on Mondays being sung by a visiting choir, and that on Thursdays being sung by the vicar's choral alone. On Sundays, the choir also sings at matins and the 11.30am Eucharist. Many distinguished musicians have been organists, choir masters and choristers at St Paul's Cathedral. So, I hope you've enjoyed our part one look at St Paul's Cathedral 
and we'll be back next week with part two, where we'll be looking at the development of the design of St Paul's Cathedral, the architecture both internally and externally as well. If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, www.londonvisited.co.uk or through our social media. It's that easy. Thanks for listening. Really hope you enjoyed our part one look at St Paul's Cathedral and we'll see you soon for part two. Bye. Thanks for listening and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.